Vince Foy passed away last night. He was 94 years old. But he was much more than that. Yankee fans call Bob Shepard, quote, the voice of God, unquote. Well, Yankee fans and baseball fans everywhere, I think, can agree that Vince Scully was the voice of baseball. Every baseball moment for the better part of 50 years has Vince Scully as the mouthpiece of America's beautiful game. His elegant rhythm of calling a baseball game is unlike any other broadcaster, period. The way he used the English language to describe the moments of summer was deliberate, intentional, and incredible. Kind of like what you would see from George Carlin during a comedy bit. But Scully was there for every moment, from Koufax to Fernando to Gibson to Kershaw, Vince Scully was there to give you a seat behind home plate and watch the game with a good friend. And perhaps his best gift to broadcasting was his ability to let a moment breathe, to just not say anything, to lay out, to shut up, to let the crowd illuminate the moment and give you the gravity of what you just heard over a radio. For every broadcaster who steps in front of a microphone for the first time, they want to be an ounce as good as Vince Scully. There will never be anyone better than Vince Scully. Maybe not as good, maybe not as good period as Scully. But his gift of the game was to make the game of baseball just as good a listening experience as it is a viewing experience. Rest in peace, Vince Scully. The best baseball broadcaster in the history of the sport and the voice of baseball. And for the Play-By-Play Network, I'm Joe Leo. This should be played at high volume. You're listening. I'm not a hustle. To the Grind Hours Podcast. You can either have the money and the hammer, or you can walk out of here. You can't have both. Start off today's show. Gotta do some MLB deadline revisions here and just get a grasp of what exactly went down yesterday, what it means for the playoff push for the rest of 2022. And, you know, I will get into, you know, who are the winners, who are the losers a little bit here. Um, I do want to start with the Yankees, though, for a minute. I will expand more on the Yankees in a column later this week. I want to first watch Frankie Montas' start on Sunday before I, you know, give all of the moments because I've seen every other Yankee other than Bader who who's coming back and we will get to Bader when when I get to him with the Yankee notes. But I want to at least see every trade acquisition before I give all of my opinions on him. So I'll, I'll, I'll save Montas for the piece. Um, he's starting on Sunday in St. Uh, Louis, yep, and let me just start with the first one, and that's Ben Intendi. he's one for 17, he did not have a good game last night, I went to the game last night, saw um, Efros in person, left before I, Trevino came in, and the dramatic ninth inning, don't blame me, blame Morgan, she <laughs> that's besides the point, that's a fight for another day, and that's a fight between us, never leave games early, Ever. Never do it. Ever. But getting back to things, Benintendi didn't have a good game last night. Not a great start to his Yankee career, 
but you know it's kind of weird because he rode in an airplane with the Royals expecting to be a Royal to play the Yankees and then he gets to New York gets told by his manager that he's now a Yankee playing the Royals and you know staying in the team hotel not having a place to live you know the uncertainty of you know getting vaccinated and and, and meeting new teammates and all of that I think is amplified by the, the fact that you have to go play the guys that you were playing or the guys that you were with for three, four months. Now you got to play them. And I think, you know, once, you know, this, this Seattle series gets through his system and he goes to St. Louis and, I mean, partially gets out of New York, I think he'll relax and, and kind of settle into being the player that the Yankees think they're getting because that's who he was in Boston. Yes, he had some short, uh, some dry spells. Every player goes through slumps. But I think you just need to give him time to breathe more than any other guy on this list just because, you know, the, the circumstances are different. And, you know, with Trevino, I didn't see him in person, but I did, you know, go back and watch his two-thirds of an inning last night. I like what I see. I think he can be a very interesting piece out of the bullpen. Um, he kind of fills in that Chad Green role that we've been missing since Green has, you know, not pitched this year and, and went on, underwent Tommy John surgery. So, you know, not the same velocity as Green, but sort of that Swiss Army knife, he can kind of come in in any situation, maybe give you more than an inning. Um, so I like Trevino. Efros, I thought, was phenomenal. I, I, I really did. You know, his stuff wasn't really there. I think he was amped up by his first appearance in the Bronx and wanted to do well. And he did give up a hit, but that hit that he allowed was almost a tremendous play by DJ. Um... It was a, a hit and run put on by Seattle, and DJ almost had this pick where if he picks the ball, it's an inning-ending double play. It's not first and third, and Efros has to get out of the jam by the skin of his teeth, and he did. But, you know, I think Efros is the guy that we're going to look back and say that was the move because he's just so different from every other pitcher that we have in the bullpen we don't have a sidewinder we don't have a guy who has a slider that breaks two feet he's kind he reminds me a little bit of Ottavino but the best part of Otto um and that's the deception the weird corkiness and I think his stuff plays and every person that you talk with with the Cubs says that so I like that I didn't hear that from Colorado people you know Every little anecdote that you hear from every Chicago person that has covered the Cubs, that has seen Efros pitch, he said that his stuff plays, that you're going to get a guy that, that really, really competes and, and is a really good pitcher. And that's what I saw last night from Efros. And again, I think that's the move. I know what we had to give up. We don't know what Walchek is going to be. We don't. Um... 
I really, really, really like that we have Efros, who's not even arbitration eligible yet. He can mold with this group. And this is a move that, yes, it helps the 2022 team, but it also helps the teams moving forward. And I think that's what a lot of, besides the Benintendi move, that's what all of these moves at the deadline helped. Yes, it does help around the edges for a championship run for 22. And that's what championship teams do. They, not all of them make the blockbuster moves. Not, all, we're, you know, not every move can be a Juan Soto or a Josh Hader move. These moves, the around the edges, the fix what, what we can, you know, our weak points so we can battle with the best teams come October, that's what Cashman did for this team. He got pitching. He got a lefty bat. He got defense. He got base running. And I love what Cashman did. Let me let me say that because I don't think a lot of Yankee fans since the, the Bader trade, that, that last minute bombshell going off trading Montgomery, and we can, you know, pivot to Bader, that kind of put a sour taste in every Yankee fan's mouth. And even the crowd a little bit, besides the, the two run home run that uh that Suarez hit to to open up the scoring in the first inning, everyone was kind of gut punched with with the Montgomery news. And and you know, people didn't know what to do. I was on the train when that trade went final and I was very, very happy. Very mouth dropped to the floor of the train. Very happy that we got Bader because I know what I've seen Bader play. I know what kind of player he's going to be. And let me explain this move for a lot of Yankee fans that aren't really excited that we got rid of Montgomery. I like Montgomery. I do. I think he's a really good pitcher. I think he's a couple of years away from being a dominant, dominant pitcher. And Cashman saw that as he's not going to get a start when it comes down to it come postseason time. They're just not going to use him, so get something for him in the form of the best defensive center fielder in the game. He won the 2021 Gold Glove. He probably, if he had enough games played, would win the 2022 Gold Glove for center field. This allows the Yankees, when he comes back in September, he is dealing with plantar fasciitis, and that is worrisome, yes, but... Even if he's 80% of what he was in 21 and in 20, I think I mean that's Gold Glove level defense. It's speed. It's a guy who in 2020 and 2021 had a 114 OPS, which is way better than you know anything we're getting at a Hicks, anything we're getting at a Gallo, anything you know, that we're getting at a Gardner. It's the, the third, fourth outfielder that, you know, in a playoff series, we're able to put him at the bottom of the lineup, flip the lineup over, have a base runner for DJ and Judge that, that has speed, that can score on a gapper. It gives the Yankees the ability to play Bader in center field, not put as many innings on Judge in the postseason in center field and, and risk an injury. So you put him in right where where I think it's still his better position, where there's not enough wear and tear, not as much wear and tear on Judge's body, 
and it allows you know also a fluidity at the at dh because you can put judge at dh you can put john carlo in in right field and it gives just a, a stalwart at, at center field and it shores up defense and that's the one thing that cashman has went out and, and, and got yes bader can still hit a little bit he he has 114 or he, the, the 114 ops plus is a little bit bu- above league average and that's good for a defensive center fielder he also has 15 stolen bases this year in 72 games bader has 15 stolen bases which is an element that cashman said that he wants to to address and he has addressed it to this point with you know with ikf and you know rizzo stealing bags here and there judge taking the extra base here and there so i like this move from a championship level i know we gave up montgomery and Montgomery wasn't having his best season, and the forecast for Montgomery is he's going to be the next Pettit. I get that, but that's just Yankee fans' minds wanting the, wanting Montgomery to be the next Pettit. He was a really good pitcher, really good pitcher, solid middle-of-the-rotation guy, but come postseason, the middle-of-the-rotation guys don't get starts. Jamison Tyone is not going to get a start in the postseason. The rotation's going to be... Cole, Montes, and either Seve or Cortez, that third that third start, and maybe you know the other one if you don't want to push, and you want full rest for your guys for either Cole or Montes. In that four start, so Tyone and, and Montgomery were not going to get starts in that instance. So I like the move moving forward. I really think that Yankee fans are going to, to like the, the combination of Benintendi and Bader in the outfield come September. I think Bader, you know, getting acclimated to the Bronx, getting acclimated to the clubhouse for a month or so before playing will give him a soft landing pad where the expectations aren't going to be as high. I think this team, by the time that Bader is going to play, I'm not going to say have the AL East wrapped up, but almost wrapped up. And the only thing Bader is going to do is get at bats and, and you know help the team get the best record in the in the major leagues. That's what Bader's, and that's a tall task. But I like, I really do like the move, and I think a lot of Yankee fans will they'll change their tone with Bader as they get to see him play. And same thing with Benintendi. You know, this guy's a proven winner. He he shows up in the postseason. And Bader, too. Bader has some postseason experience. Not much, but he does have a little bit. You know, he play, he's played a total of 10 games in the postseason. He was... <laughs> he had one at-bat in the wildcard game last year. He had... Nine and a loss to, um, or uh, he had three in the wild card, a game against um, against the Padres in twenty twenty. Actually, I'm sorry, that was a three game series. So, that was probably his best play- playoff series was twenty twenty. He had two RBIs and a run scored in that series. And, you know, in 19, 
10 at-bats, 2 hits, an RBI, and a stolen base. This guy is a defender. That's what he's going to, his primary is going to be defense and base running. But I do think he can have the ability to come up big when it matters most in the postseason. I do, because he's been there. He's got some games under his belt, and he's going to give the Yankees the ability to just be deeper. And you don't have to start Hicks in a postseason game. So relax. This team, the moves that you wanted to make, I know everyone wanted Castillo. I know everybody wanted Soto. But those moves don't necessarily need to happen for this team to win a World Series. This team is good as it is right now. This is the championship-level team that we're going to go forth. If you're still whining and complaining, hop on board or hop off because this is a really good baseball team. I know they lost last night. They, they couldn't keep the lead or keep the game tied for the life of them. But, you know, one of their brethren just got traded. Montgomery was a fun guy. He was... You know, a best friend to a lot of the pitchers. He was, you know, Tyone's best friend on the team. Tyone's going to be in Montgomery's wedding in the offseason. So Tyone was a little bit shaken up that his, you know, best friend just got traded. So let the dust of the, the trade deadline wear off. We'll get back to the, the, the dog days of baseball. And I think this team is going to win and prove once again that they, they <clears throat> excuse me, they are the best team in baseball, and I'm really excited for the stretch run. I am. I haven't been this excited in a long time, and I'm very, very confident in this team. And to all the Yankee fans out there, I hope you are too. So a little bit shorter on the A block, but you know, on the back half of this, we'll get to all the notable parts of the, po- of the trade deadline some winners, some losers, and just interesting notes on a freaking crazy, crazy deadline that um, that I think is going to produce tremendous October baseball. You're listening to the Play-By-Play Radio, Play-By-Play Network, and the Grind Hours Podcast. Back after this. SeatGeek is the number one ticket app for buying and selling tickets. Sports fans, music fans, comedy fans, theater fans, fans of tickets. Use my code GRINDHOUR to get into the building to get yourself a seat. Again, that's code GRINDHOUR at checkout for $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek.com or the SeatGeek app. One more time, code GRINDHOUR. That's G-R-I-N-D-H-O-U-R. At checkout. Feed Hudson Valley is a regional food rescue and harvesting network in the Hudson Valley operating through Dutchess, Orange, Ulster, Columbia, Green, Putnam, and Sullivan counties. It links donors of prepared but unserved food and fresh produce with nonprofits and food assistance programs through an app assisted network of food donors, volunteers, and feeding agencies. Feed Hudson Valley facilitates the harvesting, processing, and distribution of locally grown or produced agricultural products, self-stable food donations, and prepared nutritious foods. The app used is called Chowmatch, and it is easy for volunteers to download and use. 
Among the donors are restaurants, farms, food makers, stores, hospitals, and universities. The food assistance programs include food pantries, soup kitchens, and shelters. Volunteers are matched through the Chow Match app when a donation is available. They can indicate that they are available to make a run and then pick it up for a donor and deliver it to the agency. The Feed Hudson Valley Network currently includes over 300 volunteers, 130 donors, and 95 receiving agencies. Last year, on average, Feed Hudson Valley re rescued and redirected over 12,000 pounds of food each month. Feed Hudson Valley could use more donors and volunteers. To learn more and sign up, visit feedhv.org. Again, that's feedhv.org. One more time, spelled out, F-E-E-D-H-V.org. Now back to the podcast. Getting back here and talking about the winners and losers of the trade deadline. And I want to start with some little notes before we get into San Diego. I will end with San Diego. But there were just there were a ton of little small moves to really, really good baseball teams. And some you know, trying to get into the mix. You know, we'll start with one of the last ones that dropped before the, the deadline. And I think it actually was made official, you know, after the deadline because of how close it was to the 6 o'clock hour as Cole gives up back-to-back -back homers to Suarez and to... Carlos Santana. It's 4-0 Seattle in the first inning. Great job. Great start by, by Cole here as I'm watching the, the beginning of the Yankee game recording this. This is just phenomenal. Great start. Great start, Cole. Buckle it up. Let, let, let's let, let, <laughs> tighten it up. Let's get better. Let, you know, hopefully this is the, the worst of it. But getting back to things at hand. Um... Rysel Iglesias to, to Atlanta, it shores up their bullpen even more, uh, especially after giving away Will Smith to, to Houston. Um, Atlanta also gets Robbie Grossman, hoping to get some of the magic that they got from their trade deadline. You know, repeat the magic from last year with getting Grossman, who's a really good defender. He had the longest-going errorless streak in the majors up until this year which was like 500 games or something like that. It was ridiculous. It was great. You know, so he's a really good defender. And he has been able to, to show some pop outside of his, uh, his time in Detroit. So that's what Atlanta's hoping for. Merrifield goes to Toronto. Toronto also gets Anthony Bass, who was tremendous for them in the 2020 shortened season. He was disgusting against the Yankees, I remember. Like I said, Will Smith to Houston, who, I mean, he was a huge part of Atlanta's World Series run last year. You know, Houston also gets Christian Vasquez, which is a defensive move. They get Trey Mancini, who's just, he's going to put up, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts up 15 to 20 homers 
from now until the end of the year with the Crawford seats. The Cardinals shoring up their rotation with Quintana and Montgomery. The Red Sox trying to stay relevant in the AL East, getting Tommy Pham and Hosmer to shore up their defense at first base. The Tampa Bay Rays don't sleep on the Rays. They get defense in center field with Jose Siri. They get a little bit of offense with with, uh, David Peralta with a trade with the Diamondbacks. And those are just the the minute moves that, um, you know, are playoff contenders that it's just going to shore up the wild card race and the division races for their respective uh, teams. And it's just going to be fun baseball down the stretch. You know, Toronto gets a, gets a lot better with, with some finite moves. The defending champs, Braves, they get better. The Rays say, don't sleep on us. And, you know, Houston is trying for the knockout punch against Seattle, which... Seattle's the first team that I want to talk about here. I think they got tremendously better at the deadline, not just around the edges, but they get a superstar in in Luis Castillo, who actually it's his first start today. That's who Cole's going up against is Luis Castillo. And Castillo's last time in the Bronx, he was with the Reds. He threw seven innings, two hits, one earned, four, four walks, and eight Ks and was masterful, and was just baffling Yankee hitters. So he's a gamer. And he, Castillo knew he was auditioning. Castillo knew all the lights were on him. I forget who uh, was going up. I, it might have been Severino, and that might have been the game that Severino had to leave early. I could be mis- mistaken, but I think that was the game. But Castillo knew he was he was front and center, and he was the, the main attraction that night, and he did not disappoint. Jake Lamb, who has been once a highly regarded prospect, who's kind of had a very interesting season with a 113 OPS plus and a 770 OPS with the Dodgers in limited action. As a depth infielder and outfielder, he can play a little bit of first base as well. So that's a very interesting move that Seattle made. Matthew Boyd, who has still not come back from uh, a flexor tendon in his, in his throwing shoulder. Um, in, in 2021, who, he was also on the block with Detroit. They ended up not trading him and just letting him walk in free agency to San Francisco. And he, uh, Boyd, not pitching a single inning for, for the Giants this year. But in 2021... 78 and two-thirds innings, 112 ERA plus, and 67 strikeouts in those 78-plus innings. He was the top commodity a couple of years ago in 19 and even in, um, in 2018 as one of the number one pitchers on the market. He can pitch. I don't know if he can pitch in big games, but it's pitching depth nonetheless. It, it allows sort of a Seattle staff that has been overachieving for a large part to kind of relax. And they did have some some injuries as well. So when they get Boyd back with Castillo, with everybody else in that rotation, they it's not the best rotation in the league, but it is very, very solid and will help them chase down the Astros, who have an 11-game lead 
on the Mariners, but the Mariners are three games back of Toronto for the second wild card spot. And actually, excuse me, for the first wild card spot, they they have the second wild card spot, and it's just gonna be it's gonna be a really fun race between um, Seattle and Toronto for that number one wild card spot. And the Seattle team should be taken lightly. That's the one thing of the two teams that that I'm going to mention here before we get to San Diego. Seattle's not a powerhouse franchise they they have the longest drought in baseball and i think in professional sports in the u.s for seasons without a postseason bid and that's you know it's 21 years at this point there are are people who can legally drink that have never seen the seattle mariners play playoff baseball and you know, I think they're, they're, that streak's going to break as Cole gives up yet another homer to, wow, Jared Kelnick. 6 nothing Mariners. I'm talking up the Mariners, and they are, they are touching up Garrett Cole here in the first inning here. Sheesh. The worst start. I can only imagine, I have, you know, the sound turned off. I can only imagine the booze that Cole's getting. He's pitched a third of an inning. Is anybody warming up? Wow. Third of an inning, five hits, six runs for Cole. And the homers that he's given up, I mean, they, they are cookies and they are meatballs. They, they are going a long way. They, they, they are not Yankee Stadium cheapies. They are bombs. But, yeah, so as I say this, the, the Mariners are in a good position to take two out of three from the Yankees. And they are no joke. They are absolutely no joke. Um, They're going to be a force down the stretch. And the other team that I want to talk about who, I mean, they are kind of, you know, a playoff mainstay, sort of, but they don't have any playoff success in recent memory. And that's the Minnesota Twins, who are currently leading the Central by a game over the Cleveland Guardians. And Minnesota went to work. They went to work. They got Jorge Lopez to sure up the back end of the bullpen. Maybe to be their closer. He had 19 saves, a 1.68 ERA, and 48 in the third innings with 54 strikeouts for the surprising Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles, very, very surprising as Marinaccio starting to get up for the Yankees. Very, very surprising that the Orioles sold at the deadline <clears throat> the way that they did. I know that they got Brett Phillips, but, you know, trading away Mancini, trading away Jorge Lopez. The Twins also get Trevor Maley, who is perhaps the most intriguing starter on the market that got traded. He is a solid pitcher. I think, you know, he's kind of at league average, 104 ERA plus, 104 and a third innings pitched, 114 Ks per nine. He has a 360 FIP, which is, you know, eliminating the defense in the equation. And, you know, Cincinnati's defense is not great. You know, it's almost a run more on his ERA than, it, you know, than, than his FIP. But an interesting point on, on Maley, he's only given up one homer per nine innings. And in a bandbox like, Great America Ballpark, you know, Minnesota 
is a little bit more expansive. It still can play to a hitter's ballpark on some nights, but, you know, he's going to have more room to work with and a little bit better defense behind him than in Cincinnati. So I think the season that he's having is even can, can become even better because he's on a hot streak right now. He parlayed that in, into a position where he can really help the Twins become a really formidable postseason team. And, you know, I think potentially he could be their number one starter come, come postseason time. Another guy to sure up the back end of the bullpen, Michael Fulmer, who was with um, Detroit, the once rookie of the year, prize starter with Detroit, has transitioned to the bullpen, and he's not disappointed. He's been one of the better relievers in the game. I believe he made the All-Star team this year with the Tiger for the Tigers. I believe he is a All-Star this year. Um, no, he wasn't. Wow, I thought he was. But, you know, he's having that type of season for for the Tigers and now goes, stays in the division, goes to the Twins. He's an interesting piece that I think can be an electric eighth-inning guy in front of Jorge Lopez and, and give the Twins just another arm to shorten the game and to relieve the starters. You know, be, be the, you know, in a the best version of a, of a reliever. And I would really like to see it. Really like to see it because he is a fascinating guy to me. He's also a guy who can close games. He has a little bit of closing experience. So that's very intriguing. And I really like what the Twins did. You know, everyone's going to talk about what San Diego did in their ability to just blow up the market, get arguably the two biggest sharks and, you know, position themselves to hunt down the Dodgers and make themselves, I think, in a lot of people's minds, the World Series favorites. I'm not, I'm not going to classify them as that yet. Let this team play for a month and see what they are. Let it gel and see what they are. Let Soto um, now transition into the, into the role of, of savior really in, in San Diego that's why he was brought in um you know after the oh my god factor of what they did San Diego and we can transition to them getting Soto getting Hader getting Drury which is a a, a trade that I think is being massively undervalued Drury's having an incredible season he can play all over the diamond he now essentially replaces Voigt as that right-handed pop bat that, you know, he Voigt can't play all over the diamond. Drury can. You know, you put Soto in right, you have Tatis coming back, you, you, you sign Joe Musgrove to a five-year extension before that. So, very, very interesting. You know, nobody thought this was going to happen. No, you know, everyone knew they were in on the market for for Soto. They were one of the, the finalists for Soto, and they ended up getting him. And I think A.J. Preller, you know, pushed all the chips in and said, screw it, we're going for it. We're not 
ending up like we did last year where we have a handshake deal for Scherzer. It looks like he's coming to us, and then he goes to the Dodgers. They pushed all their chips in. They are going for gold this year. They sold the farm literally for Soto, for uh, Hayter. But I think that the biggest piece is a guy that they already had on their roster who's been hurt all year, and that's Fernando Tatis. I think he is still the straw that stirs the drink in San Diego. He, If he plays well and is healthy down the stretch, I think he's the reason why this team is going to go far in the playoffs. I know Soto has been there. I know Soto has a ring. I know Soto is, you know, captain clutch in the postseason. But in order for them to really be a legitimate contender is Tatis has to play well. Machado's having an MVP type year. Soto's having an MVP type year. The rotation has been phenomenal up to this point. Can this team continue to do it? Because now all eyes are on them. They were a fun story, a team to look out for. You know, don't sleep on the Padres. But now the target from underdog to the main dog, they are the lone wolf. They are who everyone is gunning for now. And rightfully so. If you make a big splash like this, you have to have a target on your back for the rest of the year. You have to be the team that everyone's going to pony up for and give you your best shot. And can the guys who have been doing it without much pressure do it when all eyes are on them? And that's not Soto. That's not Hayter. That's the rest of the group that hasn't really been in the postseason, that hasn't had the pressure cooker moments, that doesn't have that many guys who have gotten it done in the postseason. And I don't want to be Debbie Downer here, but that's just realistic. That's just looking at that roster and saying, okay, who's actually been in a pressure cooker situation? And not a lot of the guys on San Diego have. I'm going to root for them because they're going to be a really fun team to watch. And I, you know, I love their broadcast. I think it's the, the, their, their TV guys are the best guys in the business. But... Um, Eh, second best to, to to Gary Keith and Ron with the Mets, but still top of the top with um with with the guys out in San Diego. I love this deadline. I did. I I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it um hit so many different points. is fascinating for so many different reasons, and um I'm gonna end there. To give me or to give my winner, I would say it's Minnesota. I, again, I know what C- San Diego did, and they won the headline. But Minnesota, who has been a above-average team all year, has been leading the division pretty much uncontestedly all year. I know Cleveland is getting, you know, that they've been in the distant, not in distant rear view all year. They've been within striking distance, and they're within game of Minnesota now. But what they did to fortify this team is really, really fun. It's going to be really, really fun to watch. I'm going to watch a ton of Twins games down the stretch and see what this did. I also forgot with um, with both Minnesota and Seattle, they both got defensive catchers to shore up defense and to put a defensive stalwart behind the plate. And you, you saw what that can do with a team like Houston all these years with Maldonado with um with the Dodgers, you know, with um with Ellis, with AJ Ellis. So 
Yeah, and you know, with Boston, with with Vasquez, and now Houston with Vasquez. So, love those moves for them. And you know, I really, really, re- plus Sandy Leone has postseason experience with with both Cleveland and Boston. So, love the moves, love the deadline. It's Christmas morning all over again. It's the day after Christmas. Now you know all the teams get to play with all the toys that they just bought, and. and and got at the deadline. So buckle up. The season's really just getting started. Postseason push. I can't wait. I'm so, so, so freaking excited. I hope you are too. And I hope your team did every move that you wanted them to do. And, you know, I hope the best of your team, unless they play mine, down the stretch. So that's going to be all for today. If you've reached this point, please like, subscribe, share this podcast with anybody who you see fit. If you're new to the show, please download the show. It means more to the show than you know. If you're on iTunes, please give us a review. Huge thanks to SeatGeek and Feed Hudson Valley for being the sponsors of today's show. Uh, blog coming up probably Sunday afternoon or Monday morning talking about the Yankees. Deadline pieces. And I don't know what the the uh, forecast for the podcast the next couple of weeks is going to be. I've been, you know, kind of taking a little bit of hiatus, taking a little bit of vacation before I start at ESPN next week. So I'll give you an update for sure uh, on this podcast. And uh, yeah, till next time. It's closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here.